Welcome everyone back to Dissecting Popular IT Nerds today, talking with Craig Hatmaker. Is that right? That's correct. Yes, the younger, the younger <laughs> of the ones. Uh, somehow, are those? Is that an encyclopedia set in the background? Uh, National Geographic's. Oh yes, yes. Nat Geo's. So when we moved my father out of his um his uh old house in Princeton, Massachusetts, you know where the Pilgrims came and all that stuff. He had some crazy, yeah, crazy. Where you go? Wait, no, you mean not in Princeton? I was. In... We uh, first of all, we visited my daughter in Maine, and then we just kind of migrated on down the East Coast. Uh, went through all of the New England states, uh -huh. uh, and also uh, we just got back last night. So to make sure that I could be here in time for this event. That's how important I am. This is you amazing. are. You are that important. You are the most important person in the world right now. Where in Maine? Where in Maine? Are you my favorite state? Brunswick and Port, which is just a little bit north of Portland. Okay, great. I I lived in Kennebunkport for a year. Oh, we went past it many times. And uh, yeah, that's how I tore this shoulder that I'm milking right now. Was surfing uh, two wow. weeks and four days of no sleep ago. In uh, yeah, in Maine, because this is this is like the uh, this is the surfing season. So there's supposed to be 20 foot waves on Saturday, and um, I'm going to be very depressed that I'm not surfing in those because <clears throat> I wanted to surf five foot waves and go for four hours and tear my shoulder. This is an IT show, believe it or not. <laughs> um, <laughs> we did mention the cloud so far. Oh, National Ge Geographics. I've, like I said, I haven't quite gotten caffeinated enough yet. So <clears throat> we are going to introduce you here in a second. We're just, we do the, we call it, maybe we call this a soft start. The National Geographics and my dad, he had so many National Geographics. And when he moved out of the house, I mean, it's a shame. Some Well, no, they probably got. I think they probably got sold in the auction or something like that because he had so much stuff that had to go to the auction. But I mean, there were some really old National Geographics, like the kind of older, thicker ones that were more white, not yellow. And I don't know if that yep. was just from time. If that was just from oh. time yellowing. They definitely didn't have the yellow, the leather, you know, cases. You know, to, th these ones were so old and frayed, and you'd look back and you're like, ah. Oh. The, the the earth didn't work like that back then because science <laughs> thought differently. Yeah, this and is all kind of like recent. history, but nobody ever uses them anymore. If you want to know what was published, you go to the internet. Yeah, that's why There's I asked, stuff. like, you know, is that Britannica in 1988? Uh, that was the internet back then. Yeah, Britannica. Yeah, you could, yeah, yeah, I remember a big argument with my dad and he was like, no, the woolly mammoth was not this and blah, blah, blah. Because my dad's a doctor, so he's the smartest man in the room. If you argue with the doctor, forget about it. Forget. You are wrong. Even if he's wrong, you are wrong. So I had to go to Encyclopedia Britannica and look up. I can't remember what it was about the woolly mammoth. And I was like, look here. Look here. See, it's right here versus Google now um or whatever it was and that'd probably be you'd have to fact check that three times with some other thing anyways um yeah the encyclopedia was it was back in the day so please please tell me about the connection and and a what let's just introduce yourself and and we'll go from there okay so my name is craig hatmaker i am retired i am a former cio uh, First of all, congratulations some... on retirement. <laughs> oh, yeah. A whole, whole group of questions there. Okay, go, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> Former CIO. This is great. Keep going. Uh, so I've worked for some very large companies. You may have heard of them, you know, like Canon. Uh, oh, yes. yes. So, and I've worked for some small companies. My most recent, uh, recently, I semi-retired to work for the town of Christiansburg. Uh, -huh. uh, so, uh, that was where I spent the last, uh, three and a half years or almost four years of my working life. How big is and, the town? Uh, it's, uh, 14 square miles, 17 square miles. It's not very big at all. Uh, -huh. uh so population it's, it's I think 26,000. So it qualifies oh, as a small city, uh, okay. but it's, uh, it still keeps its very, very, uh, small town feel. Mm. Uh, I had done local government before, so this was kind of you, who hires at the time I was hired, I was 63. Who hires a 63 year old? 
Uh, the town of uh, <laughs> Christiansburg. <laughs> Christiansburg, or like where I grew up, the town of Princeton, which was, we had 1,400 households. So I think, I don't know what that population is, 3,000. So it's not as, you know, it's not as small as some, as South Dakota, but um, it's, you know, it's there. I did live in Virginia too, by the way, uh, for, for, for four years also. Which part? And I lived in like, uh, you know, Percival though. So it doesn't really count as like Virginia. That's like DC more. So uh, Northern like Virginia. Right okay. Yeah. I was outside of Leesburg It like bordered Leesburg. So, okay. Well, so, town of Christiansburg is in Southwest Virginia in the mountains. Right. Like real, real Virginia. I mean, I was near West Virginia. I drove into West Virginia a couple of times. That was interesting to, <laughs> go ahead, to buy a van in the middle. I mean, it was down in this Valley in the middle of nowhere. And I was like, if something happens to me here, it doesn't matter. No, no one's finding me. Um, keep going. Well, so one of the things that, uh, um, before we turned on the recorder, I mentioned that we are actually doing it right now. This is, um, the soft landing, as you called it, this, uh, <laughs> introduction where we get to know each other. Yes. Uh, absolutely critical, mm. uh, that we, first of all, if you're an it leader and you don't establish relationships, oh man, you're not going anywhere. I think your, uh, tagline is on your, on your uh, LinkedIn profile somewhere that said something about if you're mm. not speaking business, then you're going to hit a hard wall as a CIO. Oh, let's see. Yeah. Let's see what I write. Cause I change, cause I get paranoid <laughs> and I'm like, I get paranoid. I'm like, well, people really read this. I'm, I'm trying every week. I'm like, what, what will people read? And like, let's see. Yes. If you can't communicate with CEOs and business owners in a way that they understand and that matters to them, your influence and career as an IT professional will eventually slam into a brick wall. So yes. Before or we just can not even the guy talk. who keeps the blinky lights on. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So before we can even talk to somebody, we got to know who they are. And True. so uh, I had before we turned on the recorder, I mentioned that I knew you had eight kids, and uh, I, you have my uh, admiration and can and <laughs> condolences. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. I'm still here alive. You're actually talking uh, to a a hologram of me that's really just a repeat of um, made up on chat gpt or something i am trying to clone myself keep going well i've, I've got three <laughs> kids they're all grown uh as i mentioned i went to go visit one of them in maine uh and awesome. i i have another kid that's in uh in manchester uk oh, nice. and uh another son that's out there in pasadena um california so they're all mm -hmm. over the place it gives us an opportunity to go travel which is one of the reasons why i'm retired so we can go visit our kids all over the world i haven't been to pasadena ready. my aunt lives there i should go there the little old lady from pasadena yeah i guess so she's uh <laughs> she was like one of the first yoga instructors in the united states i remember as a kid i remember as a kid on v there's these vhs tapes and like what's move ah. gently move what's move gently move mountains you know, I was like, she really was like the, one of the very first like pioneers of some kind of like crazy, you know, yoga on tape type of thing. We're like, what is yoga? You know, it's a, yeah, it was yeah. just like unheard of back then. I like going back in time. That's, and um, it's just so much fun to talk about technology back then. Keep going. I don't want to, I don't want to take you off. Okay. So I, so leading into this, I would like to ask you a couple of questions. Uh, so tell me about your journey from creative writing to voice over IP? Such a great question. Uh, I love that you're doing this. I should just do this from now on. Look, we're not doing this today. You're interviewing me. I'm not interviewing you. Um, you're retired. You sound really, really, this This would be a lot of fun too. We need more hosts, by the way. You want to be a host? Okay, so my, <laughs> my here's my, here's my, uh, my, <laughs> here's my journey. I'm going to just be real blunt with everybody here. This is going to be, I started off pre-med because when you grow up in a family of doctors and you don't become a doctor, you're a loser. So everyone in my family is like a doctor. My my grandfather's a pediatrician. My dad's a urologist. My uncle is an opt ophthalmologist. My sister's an RN. Her husband's an anesthesiologist. So I went pre-med, but I'm a very stubborn um, kind of like, I don't know, just wanted to like kind of break free type of person, you know, maybe like a lot of kids, you know. Maybe I was, I was a bad, I was probably like a really a bad, like id once I hit like 17, 18, I was probably very, I gave my, may my parents forgive me. Um, so anywho, I did go pre-med and I was taking uh, inorganic chemistry and biology and all this stuff. And I wasn't in it 
I wasn't in it um, like passionate. I was just, I realized I was doing it just, you know, just because to either make money, to have a job, because if you don't have a job when you grow up, then, you know, and you don't go to college, you don't do this, you know, like the typical, like these, these frameworks that were meant that we're told we have to live in. And um, I think back then I was like, you know, you know, what's this rat race and, you know, the concrete jungle and listening to Bob Marley, like, no, man, this isn't right. You know, I'm going to live in a, in a trailer on Hawaii and uh, surf and, you know, I'm never going to get married and fall into this typical, like, you know, whatever it was. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah. so I was like, I dropped out of, I dropped out of med school and I went, uh, I went, I really liked reading. I really liked, um, I really liked English back then. I liked, uh, you know, I can remember, oh man, what was it? I remember just, you know, whatever, Canterbury Tales, Charles, having to read Old English. We had to read Old English and like the real old, like, I wish, I wish, get a, wish, get a, you know, like one of the Old English stuff. So anyways, uh, that's what I ended up in. And then um, I met some like femme fatale uh, girl back then who screwed up my entire life and was like, no, this is, a, I was going to St. Anselm College in uh, New Hampshire, Man Manchester, New Hampshire, the other Manchester. The other Manchester, and, yeah. yes. And um, so I followed some girl out to CSU, Colorado State University, transferred there, went from a small liberal arts, I mean, a small school to like a really huge, massive cool. Uh, that relationship failed miserably, didn't work out. I was completely depressed. And now I was stuck in Colorado. Um, then uh, for whatever reason, I still had that you can't be a loser in the back of your head. So, you know, six years later, I graduated, you know, like a six year college degree, two years. So I graduated with a creative writing degree, took my very first job. And at the time I ended up getting married. Um, I found my, you know, my wife that I've been married to for a long time. May the Lord above uh, bless her. And um uh, ended up getting married and doing the right thing in college is a whole nother long story. There's a really long story there. And, but, uh, to try and try and close the loop here. Um, I took the very first job I could take out of college because I had to provide, I, I feel like, you know, I have to provide for a wife and family, you know, that eventually I'm going to have, or at least that I was thinking about. So I took the job at Fazoli's and one thing about me, everything that I have, it's a, it's a blessing. Everything that I've ever said, I will never do happens to me. So if you ever look down, if you ever look down upon anybody for anything, anything, it's going to happen to you. At least it does in my life, right? Like I will never work in a fast food joint. <laughs> you know, I mean, yep, my I've first job, my too. first job out of college, the very first job out of college was wearing a headset at a fast casual, we called it, no, no, yeah, fast casual. We called it fast casual because you could, because you had to bring breadsticks to the table at a place called Fazoli's, which was kind of well known back then. It was like an oh, Italian. Oh, yeah, I remember Fazoli's. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was like Italian. You know, it was great. You know, I was like, oh, I was like, do you want breadsticks with that? So instead of, do you want fries with that? Do you want extra breadsticks with that? And I can, I had the headset on. I was working the drive through. There I am with a college degree, creative writing. Um, anyways, then I moved up the world, moved up in the world to Starbucks. And, uh, there was, um, I just, uh, I, I saw people walking in and out of the door. It's, it's all in the book, by the way, that's coming out. This, this story is in the book. Um, it takes a long time to get there, but long story short, I realized after working at a coffee shop that I knew how to talk to people, even though I was the guy in high school that was very shy and walked with his head down, you know, facing the floor and was like terrified of his own shadow. When you work in a coffee shop, you learn to be everyone's local psychologist. You learn to talk to people and uh, I saw salespeople coming in and out that just, they weren't like super intelligent. They weren't, you know, they're just like these dudes driving really nice cars. And I mean, I kind of was like, what do you do? And this guy's like, oh, I'm in, you know, real estate broker or something. You know, I was like, okay. I was like, I can talk to people. So I put my uh, resume up on monster.com and a Cisco startup called me. And uh, the guy, I can I'll never forget, the recruiter was like a real fast talker. He's like, so, you know, I saw your resume on it and, you know, feel really good fit for this role and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, yeah, okay, awesome. Yeah, awesome. You know, like, and he's like, do you know what a voiceover IP is? And I was like, huh? <laughs> he's, uh, he's, like, he's, like, he's like, same response worry. you get from a lot of uh, IT people yeah, yeah. 10 years yeah, yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, don't worry, they'll train you. Don't worry, they'll train you. I'm like, okay. He's like, uh, have you heard of Cisco? I'm like, uh, yeah, they deliver my paper products. No, 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 no. Cisco with a C. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. This is the truth. 
Yeah, don't worry, they'll train you. Like, here's what I need you to do. You need to put on a suit. Do you have a suit and tie? I'm like, uh, yeah, I got one. He's make sure it's like, you know, like go buy a new one or something like that. He's like, here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna come in this office. You're gonna go down here. You're gonna come in. You're gonna meet with this guy named Jonas Fruget. He's a real, uh, look, you need to be this. You need to be that. You need to blah, 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 blah. I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just like, I just did whatever this recruiter told me to do and I got the job. And, uh, but the funny thing is he's like, Joan, I'm gonna tag Jonas in this because, uh, um, one of my first bosses. So Jonas, he had two Blackberries. It was like out of a movie. And back and back then, Blackberries had just come out. No one, I mean, it oh, was yeah. like, it was like email on your phone. Whoa. And a full keyboard, sort of. This is crazy. <laughs> so we got, you know, I go and I see this, I, I do the ride along, whatever it is, multiple interviews, ride along some people, and then you got to go in. This is the recruiter's coaching, and now you're going to go in and you're going to talk to him. Look, here's what he's going to do. He's going to be, he's going to act very uninterested in you. He's going to act, you know, blah, 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 this. He's going to say this. He's like, and after he asks you how the day was and everything, he's going to say, you know what? I don't think this job is for you, Phil. This is a recruiter. He's telling me that this is what's going to happen. And I'm like, okay. He's like, and like at that point, that's when you got to be like, absolutely not. And you have to close for the job because that's what they want you to do at this like, you know, company. And I was like, okay, absolutely. Exactly. What happened? <laughs> exactly. I go and there's this guy on two blackberries. He's talking on one blackberry. Yeah. Uh, hey, da, 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 da. you know, he's like, okay, cool, cool. Make sure you get, make sure you get everything in, make sure you enter it into, um, what did they call it? What did they say? They actually called the database SQL. Make sure you enter everything into SQL at the end of the day. Uh -huh. then, then his phone's ringing. He's on the other black and He's like, okay, all right, John. Oh, oh, hey, John. Yeah, John. Oh, really? Is that all it's going to take to close the deal today? And, you know, he's like, and he's like, make sure you don't come back without the deal. Click, click. And he looks at me. He hangs up the phone. He's like, so how was the day? Um, Yeah, it was great, man. It was awesome. Uh, you know, learned a lot, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So, um, okay, great. You know, ask me a few other questions. You know what, Phil? Uh, I don't think this is the job for you. I don't think, you know, I don't think you're going to be a good fitter. <laughs> I was like, uh, I don't know How's why you, you would, I don't know why you would think that this is a perfect fit for me. I would come here and absolutely <laughs> kill it. In fact, I think I should come in and start work on Monday. That's exactly the attitude we want here. You're hired. You know, it's like, it was like, <laughs> awesome. you know, it was like something like that. It was just, it was wild. So anyways, I got into this crazy, fast-paced, small business, Cisco startup. We were selling. We, we had to consult. We had to sell basically dynamic T1s. I knew nothing. I had no clue what an IP address was. I didn't know a router from a switch. When I found out that people were paying $500 a month for a T1, which I had no clue what that was, I was like, is it their phones? And they're like, $500? What? That's insane. You know, it's I was like, there's no way. cheap. <laughs> I know. I was like, how am I going to do this? You know, and I, and, uh, but I had to provide for a family. And uh, six months later, I was the top, I was the top guy in um, Colorado. And uh, a year and a half later, I was the number, the only Guido Sirocco beat me by one deal at the end of the year because he was in California, had a better territory. That's my excuse. There you go. Um, but yeah, I learned a lot about technology. I learned a lot about working with vendors. I learned a lot working with local MSPs. So I went from having no clue knowing what natting is or IP. I learned it all live on the job, which this whole story now. That, I mean, if I, a lot, it comes up a lot on the show. I ask people like, you know, so you go to college, you get this degree in technology or you don't get this degree in technology or whatever it is. Who do you really want running your IT department or running the help desk or working on things or turning knobs and everything? Where did you really get your, where did you really get your experience and know what you're doing and how you're doing? No one's going to like the, the top security guy. You can't learn that in a, you can't learn that in a classroom. So I don't know. Does that answer your question? Yes, it does. And actually, it leads into another question that I had, which was, what is your architecture? And I can see, since you mentioned Cisco, uh, when I went to voice over IP, Cisco was who we used. We used two ASAs. We used uh, an old Cisco PIX router uh, as our layer one. We used SIP trunking, and uh, we saved a ton of money uh, mm. by using um, voice over IP with SIP trunking. But we had to hire five guys to run it. 
<laughs> actually no it's like, no, so that, was a, <laughs> that was a nice thing it was it was easy to do it was what were those uh, old pbx boxes asa what were those 500s or something what were those uh what was that they had like a small business pbx that they came out with as well for a while back i wonder if well, it's still this, around uh this was just using the uh vms we didn't use their um so we we installed the uh what is equivalent of a pbx uh used Cisco's VMs and installed that. So there was no, the only hardware was the firewalls, the ASAs, mm -hmm. and the layer one switch, which is the PICs, uh, to make sure that we had diverse routing and, and instant failover and all these other things. So, um, but so how are you doing the failover? Was it like a load balancing or something or back? I mean, because was this a while ago or is this recent? So two, uh, one was fairly recent, a few years ago, and the other one was about 10 years ago. Uh, mm -hmm. The Cisco ASA solution was um, about 10 years ago. Uh, failover, uh, the ASAs were load balanced. Uh, we used our SIP trunking was LSI and they were load balanced so that when uh, they're they had different routing and failover and they had yep. a disaster a disaster avoidance and you could repoint trunks or they would do that automatically on their end yep. if they had an outage. Yeah. We could literally unplug one ISP and the call would not, would fail over without being dropped to the other ISP. So it was all it was magic. It was great. Uh, mm -hmm. so I remember one of your guests was talking about, or I I think it was one of your guests, I heard somebody saying that they had a hard time selling voice over IP because people were saying well, I don't want to use the this. I don't want my phones going over your network because your network is always going down. Well, you got to solve that problem first before you even talk about moving things um, from one, <laughs> yeah, you know, from the POTS systems over to uh, voice over IP. So, what was your sales pitch when you went into somebody to sell to get them to move to voice over IP? What was what was your uh, elevator pitch? One, I hate the word pitch. Um, I learned okay. that a long time ago from Zing. I learned that a long time ago from Zig Ziglar talking about one of his other people. And the reason why I, I hate the word pitch is because pitch is like it's something that you're doing to someone. It's something that is like you practice that you're going to say to someone. Not that we don't you don't practice like an initial benefit statement. Like I, I'll never forget my initial benefit statement back then was um, <clears throat> IBS, right? You know, uh, I help people uh, streamline their voice and data services and become more competitive in the marketplace. But a pitch is like, yeah, you're going to do something to someone. And I'm very much a believer in a consultative sale or a sitting on the same side of the table as the buyer and helping them make an informed decision and do something for them, helping them fill a need, fill a need that my, my, when I became a sales manager, my reps used to joke, call me fill the need. Um, but um, yeah, so for me, it was about making friends it was about becoming a community mogul. Um, it was, hey, look, I, I know I spoke with Sharon up front the other day. She told me you have, you know, six POTS lines, uh, a fax machine, that you've got DSL, and she's resetting the router box by sticking a little pencil in the back. Uh, you don't have any way to access files remotely. You're not backing anything up because back then, you know, file backup was like a new thing, right? <laughs> um you know, your website's janky, whatever, you know. And so I know just from talking for her that I, that meeting with me is, is going to be a huge benefit to you. And no, 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 get the hell out of here. Like no soliciting, whatever's look, look, John, look, I, I understand. Like, uh, all I need is five minutes of your time. It sounded like it was out of wall street or something, you know, like, like, Oh, look, all I need is five minutes of your time. And I promise you, if I don't show you any benefit or I can't help you out, I will kick myself to the curb. I'll kick myself to the curb. And in worst case scenario, you know, I can refer some business your way in the future. And then I would always tell myself before I ever talk with anyone, it's all about them. It's all about them. It's all about them first. And I think a lot of people have this idea or they have a negative perception of sales. And it's typically people that A, are afraid of themselves or afraid of sales, or they're not good salespeople themselves, or they, not, they never learn from the right people. They didn't have good mentors. But nothing gets done until someone makes a sale. This entire country was built on salespeople that move the industry <clears throat> that move industry forward, right? Where I used to tell my, and then when I became a sales manager, I used to tell my people, look, your businesses are not good or bad out there, right? This all the Zig Ziglar stuff. It's only good or bad between your own two ears, right? Quit your stinking thinking. Go out there and 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 save the world, save this perceived dying economy. 
And uh, I still have people call me this day. And they're like, Phil, you know, you really made a difference in my life when you told me like, go save the world, you know, don't do this. I tell that to my guys today. Um, so I don't, I think being married, having kids, not being involved in the whole work hard, play hard mentality, which is like, you know, work hard during the day, go pitch a bunch of things and like, you know, and then go, you know, get wasted at night. You know, that, that whole, there's a, that whole bottom 80% of the world is just, uh, a giving everyone else a bad name for it, screwing everything up, creating that mediocrity that we all know about in the vendor world. You know, it's like just mediocrity is this disease of, um, whatever. So it, it was really more about asking questions and discovering and, and first, um, um, uh, seeking to understand other people, you know, uh, discover, ask questions and connect, discover, respond. Basically that's, that's a Starbucks thing. Connect, discover, respond. Well, that's a good, good, yeah. good, uh, motto. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's it, you know, kind of like you said, you need to know your people first, just like walking down the hall or, or whatever. And, and what you're doing right now is really great because <laughs> you're revealing that I used to be, or kind of a hardcore salesperson at heart. And, you know, that's what you're doing. And I would imagine that there's a lot of friction between, or there could be friction between the IT department and, and sales, right? Because sales are like, a lot of times you have a lot of, you have a lot of arrogant salespeople in a company. If anyone's working out there with salespeople, you've got the top sales rep. This guy could be a total arrogant loser or like, you know, but he's not a loser because he's the number one guy that's bringing in a ton of money for the company. Right. So you have this yep. like super alpha male or alpha woman, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Because we've had those too. We've had some, I mean, I can remember some very strong, some very powerful women that would, you know, just, that uh, and they all eventually, you know, if, if they're negative, if they got the wrong attitude, they all they all self-destruct and blow up eventually. But, you know, dealing with that can be um, how you're doing the right thing. You know, ask questions. Hey, tell me about how uh, awesome you are. Yep. Uh, so so let's, <laughs> let's I think we're so let's move on to uh, where I think the topic of this was, because I think you sent me an invite after I responded. I wasn't really searching for an invite. Uh, you had asked about um, something along the lines of how how do you uh, sell your projects and how do you uh, manage to get things done? Why is so few IT projects get um, moved yes. through? It's a big and topic. I, it's a big topic, yeah. which is how do you influence executive leadership um, at the roundtable to get your big forklift project and get the million dollars that you need for the IT department, whatever it is. And so I made a response that said, basically, I haven't had an IT budget refused you know, or a project declined in the last decade. And I think that's why you you asked me to come. And so the very first thing that I would tell CIOs to do, based on my 40 plus decades of failure and all kinds of, all kinds of failures in the past, but what I've learned, and I finally got to learn in my last decade, I would say, First thing you need to do when you go to a new company, a new position is build relationships with everybody. So you don't want to uh, push an agenda. You just want to connect. Mm. You just want to know who they are and make them important. They are yeah. there. So Teddy Roosevelt said, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Yes. And so you really want to be the guy that everyone knows that you care, you care about them. And if you don't care about them, you've got a big problem. You have to care about all your stakeholders and the people in the business. Uh, we're, all, we're all humans. We're all going to die. We've all got some screwed up thing that we're dealing with in our life. We've all got, we've all got, you know, obstacles to overcome. We're all dealing with some level of stress at some point. I mean, maybe not all of us. I mean, I just, um, most of, you know, we all are, let's be honest. We'll they are. Going. And and when you when you do establish relationships, people will share those stress moments, and those stress moments can be opportunities. And I'll explain that in a minute. The next thing you need to do is you need to establish a reputation of trust. You've got to be trustworthy. As if if you are a CIO and people can't just trust you, you they've hired the wrong person. Uh, as a CIO, you've got access to all the information, all the things that they don't want people to know. 
because there's lots of stuff, you know, just simple. Everyone knows that you don't want to share payroll information. At least a lot of companies don't want to share payroll information, but you've got access to payroll information. You got to pretend like you've never seen it and you've got to actually not want to see it. Mm. We've got access to everybody's uh, browsing history. I've explained to people, I have neither the time nor the interest to watch what people, where people go. It's uh, up to their managers to manage by performance. Not, don't ask me to manage behaviors because that's really not what I. I don't want to police people as to where they can and cannot go. They're adults. That's an interesting like show. How many people? How many IT directors have had someone come to them and say, "Hey, what's my employee looking at?" <laughs> that's messed well, up. Well, that has happened when somebody does come to me and says, "Say they have had, they've had a report," and that has happened where we had a situation where somebody, when I was working for one of our local governments. Early on, I've worked for uh, Roanoke County. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, uh, somebody was using the library computers to show porn to kids. And uh, they had reports of it. And I had to go find it and and show it. And then that, of course, meant somebody got fired. It's interesting. But, I'm not interesting. I mean, it's it, a crazy unfortunate. But when I spoke with, and this is just a side topic, I asked them, um, uh, I've found over interviewing multiple people over time and every now and then, you know, crime rings come up and everything. And a lot of those child pornography rings, they, it's, it's not the, it's not the guys, the creepy guys that you would think are, um, you know, that you would try to profile just by looking at them. A lot of times it's people in the state and local government. It's like, you know, the head of the schools, it's a principal, it's someone that's in a position of power that has access to children. Unfortunately, that is, that is often the case. Um, so, so, well, moving on. Yeah, uh, so, so you build trust by being, having integrity and um, just making sure that people know that if they confide in you, you're not going to talk to anyone else about it. You just really have to get that sterling reputation of trust because then you need to move into finding opportunities. And those, as I mentioned earlier, uh, stress and other people will sometimes result in people confiding into you. Like I've had one, one manager, plant manager came to me and says, my bonus wasn't, up, wasn't where I expected it. Now who's going to share that with somebody they don't know. He's mm. upset that his bonus wasn't as high as it should be. And so I started asking him questions as to what the reason for that was. Uh, it became a, it, that launch, that conversation launched a $4 million project that netted $6 million in the first year. Uh, so it's these are, so having, listening to the people you built relationships with. Uh, can help you find the opportunities that will then make for a, a good project. Mm. So before we could launch that project, we had to build the business case. So when he told me what the reasons were, we had to go find what he thought the reasons were. We had to dig into it to figure out what was going on. In this particular situation, uh, it was a plant among many plants in this corporation and so we had the opportunity to go mine the financials and see how was this plant performing compared to our best performer. And that makes things really simple because now you can see that our best performer performs at this rate and this mm -hmm. guy's performing at that rate. The delta is the business opportunity. You can also do the average is this. And if we could just move them to the average, this is the business opportunity. Mm -hmm. And if we then moved all plants to the average or uh, from that were below average into the, to, you know, if we could get them into the first quartile, that would be awesome. This, in this particular uh, business, it was a, um, it was a 1% increase in sales would result in, uh, it was a $5 billion corporation. So 1% increase in sales, which is huge. Mm -hmm. And we found out the reason for this particular uh plant was the plant was having downtime the downtime it could be all kinds of reasons why a plant has downtime it could be lack of materials it could be lack of labor in this particular case it was the lines were breaking because of poor maintenance mm. and so we got the stakeholders so we found the case we uh, and we talked how to did you how did you discover that that was the problem because i've dealt with this and i do a lot in manufacturing a lot and uh, there's another use case where we discovered that 
just management of the orders alone stopped the downtime. So you have, if a small order came in, everything had to shut down, everything had to be cleaned, all the machines had to be cleaned because it was food manufacturing, do that small order, shut everything down again, clean all the machines, go back to production because like an emergency order came in. So just by... I can't remember how they, you know, did it, but, and then it was, and then it was also, how do we clean faster? How do we do this faster? So not only did they make the whole change round of cleaning faster, one thing, then they basically, I don't know whether it was through ERP or whatever, but just better order management alone through software made a complete reduction in temp staff, 100% no longer needed temp staff and 170% increase in production. Yep. Boom. And then, then who knows what the time factor was too. So that was just, you know, astronomical growth or, you know, a, a massive, a massive dollar figure. But um, so, so I'd be interested to know how you guys figured out, oh, it was this broken machine. You would think that would be obvious, but obviously it wasn't. Well, it wasn't just one broken machine. That was the problem. It was machines were breaking all over the place, but they weren't and but they didn't have to break a lot in, in the sense that you didn't have to have one break every day to to sap three percent of productivity right. out of a plant uh-huh. uh, and uh but the way we do it so as i mentioned i worked for a company called canon canon is japanese and they are well known for their management techniques and one of the reasons why i worked for them is because i wanted to learn about their uh management techniques and okay. one of the things they had a couple of things so you've probably heard of Six Sigma and lean manufacturing and, and uh, continuous mm-hmm. improvement. So in the continuous improvement cycle, one of the things they do is they promote this idea of ask why seven times. Mm. So uh, I tell my kids why, to do that. Why, why, why <laughs> keep going? Yep, so awesome. why is your bonus uh, low? Well, because we didn't meet our productivity. Why is your productivity low? Did you yeah. have, is labor with problems? No, no, not labor problems. How about it. how about raw materials? No, not raw yeah. materials. Well, if it's not raw materials and it's not labor and your plant was so your plant's just not running. Well, yeah, we had some breakdowns and so why we is it not able, running? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you just keep going. Eventually, you get down to you can also create Ishikawa diagrams, which are also known as herringbone diagrams, where you list all of the potential causes and then you do a Pareto chart to list the top twenty causes mm-hmm. of failures and then you work the problem starting with the most cost you, you then do the financial analysis to determine which one has the greatest opportunity for improvement and that turned out to be we needed to go from reactive maintenance to predictive maintenance and we mm-hmm. changed the culture all right so one of the so we have to have so we'll review we build relationships we establish trust we find the opportunities which comes from ha- having the trust of stakeholders we build the business case fortunately on this one i didn't have to wait on timing but wait on timing is also huge uh like the last sip trunk one timing was covid covid mm-hmm. hits and everybody needs to work from home mm-hmm. and we needed all of our legacy phone systems to work at people's houses mm-hmm. And that meant let's move everything to voice over IP. So we're moving everything to SIP trunking. And now everybody can take their phone and pretend that they're in the office when they're working from home. Right. So timing is sometimes uh, huge. Uh, You don't want to just, it's kind of a great way to get slapped in the face is to come in and say, I have an opportunity. I know what I can do for you. Um, Because a lot of times people don't want to hear that. They want to tell you what you can do for them. So when somebody says, I need our people to work from home, then I go, okay, I'll make that happen. I don't tell them I'm going to do SIP trunking. I just tell them I'm going to make that happen. And by the way, I saved you 90% of your phone bill cost. And -hmm. I consolidated your bills from five vendors down to one. Mm -hmm. So accounting department loved it. The people loved it. It all worked. Um, I love doing that. That's a fun, that's just a fun uh, exercise. That by the way, the, 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 um, um, behind the scenes program at dissecting popular IT nerds, which is very select and only free for certain people, will do that for you at absolutely no cost. <laughs> Anyways, uh, we love that. We love that exercise. That's easy. There's a lot of low hanging fruit. That's like another episode, the low hanging IT fruit, but keep going. Uh, so when your timing is right, you need to make sure that you have, um, you, you said, uh, connect and, oh. Uh, Connect, Next discover. discover, respond. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, respond. So in the discovery, you want to know, you want to make sure that you understand the with them. I like to use that term. What's in it for me, for every stakeholder that's involved. Yep. Because not every stakeholder cares about that we saved money. The finance department did. Mm-hmm. The uh, town manager only wanted to make sure that people could work safely from home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you had to, you have to, when you present, when you talk about this stuff, it's in the last bit is when you're presenting, it's never about technology. So I, when I presenting it, I'm saying, I'm going to make it so that people can work from home and I will save a lot of money. And I never mentioned sip trunking or voice over IP. They don't care. I know that's like a glaze over real quick. So uh, we're going to be using session initiated protocol. (laughs) (laughs) Our session border controller is set up to automatically Uh, load balance. Yeah. We're going to use the first routing. Nobody cares. At the edge of town, we're going to have this router. (laughs) (laughs) So we, we need to forget that we, yes, we know all of this technical stuff, all this jargon. We've got to not talk about it. I yell at people sometimes in meetings, like, "Will you please stop using industry acronyms that no one knows what that means?" It's like if a doctor uses his acronyms and the IT guy uses his acronyms. You know, it's like sometimes they match up. Communication. Will I never thought happen. we were <laughs> <laughs> like MRI. There's got to be an existence of that in the technology world somewhere. Like I thought you were talking about my back. Uh, keep going. So yes, yes. Okay. So discovery connect discovery questions, whatever it is, respond. And of course, if you're in the government, no one cares about money. So we're just going to spend the, Oh yeah. Money. We, uh, well, we're that was spend everyone of the taxpayers money. Who cares? I don't want to hear about money because that taxpayers take care of it. Well, that was <laughs> one of the ways that I established trust was that I reduced my budget. Exactly. Uh, I, they didn't reduce it. I did. Uh, uh, and then the bus drivers got it. Well, I don't we're care. just going to move that over to, it's it, it got moved Thank over you, to Craig. A, it got moved over to a park and that park became another set of projects um, that we worked on so it was a huge park but it, the point is my responsibility was to the taxpayers to reduce costs and improve services uh, and I viewed all of the departments as my customers who were also trying to achieve the same thing and I was to enable them as best I could. And sometimes that means doing IT things. And sometimes it happens that I, I got pressed into doing non-IT things. For so, example? Okay. So I'm working for a small company called Smithfield Foods that uh-huh. was, that had a one of their plants killed 36,000 head a day. So tiny little plant uh-huh. <laughs> in Tar Heel, North Carolina. Yeah. Uh, we had... Um, so there I am working for Smithfield foods. I'm head of their East coast operations as in it. Yeah. And one of the things that when I first got there, the CIO said, please make sure that we install this particular warehouse management system in Tar Heel, North Carolina, so that they can manage this 36,000 head a day being slaughtered and processed into turned into hams and whatever mm-hmm. bacon sausages. Uh, so we had that, we got that, that, uh, software installed and I, that learning experience of what all the software did, because I was brand new to the company when, when this started, but I learned all, all I could about this, this particular system. And one day um, I'm hearing the salespeople complain about a, another warehouse, a different warehouse that was uh, a third party warehouse and how it seemed like everything coming out of that warehouse was failing. Nothing was getting delivered on times product. The bright product wasn't making it to the customer and they're all upset about it. So being the guy that listens to my stakeholders, I sent out my team to go out and see what it was that was going on at that particular third party warehouse. Found out that the software that they were using could not handle uh, something that we call sell it or smell it. Um, you have to sell within certain shelf life or the product it's fresh pork is going to start smelling and big customers like food Lion, Hannaford, whatever, uh, want to have at least 10 days, sometimes 12 days of shelf life remaining so that they have time to get it off their shelves and sell it. So we have to, we, when we slaughter, uh, uh, an animal, we have about 
15 days of shelf life. So we've got to move it out of the warehouse within about three, four to three, three to four days, sometimes five days. Each customer has different requirements about how many shelf life, how much shelf life they have. So when we ship product, we have to pick the product that is best suited for their shelf life requirements. We don't want to ship the freshest. We want to ship what's fresh within their requirements. So that meant knowing the sell-by date of every case that was in our 16,000 pallet location warehouse, refrigerated warehouse. Their software could not do that. And people were grabbing whatever pallet they could find and sending it. And then- uh, So it was to, random. It was complete random dated stuff. Or... And Food Lion and Hannaford were getting it and saying, this is not within our shelf life requirements and sending it back. And then finally they got to the point where they said, we don't want to do business with you. And they, and they started shutting business down. Well- because I'm not the CIO at Smithfield, the CIO is enjoying his Christmas vacation and it's Christmas Eve and I'm at work and I'm the only, uh, I'm the highest uh, guy there from the IT department and the, and the president of Smithfield Foods calls me into his, calls him, my CIO into the office and I tell him he's not there, he's on vacation. He says, then you show up. <laughs> so I show up. And he says, are you aware of the problem that's going on at this warehouse? And I said, yes, sir, we are aware. Do you know how to fix it? And I said, yes, sir, I do know how to fix it. And he goes, then here you've got an American Express. It's got no credit limit on it. Go make it happen. <laughs> All right. We had actually. So they when, have those cards? <laughs> yes, they do. And I could and I could spend millions with no, there was no credit limit. And they <laughs> said, you know, every purchase you make, it's a career decision. Um but anyway, we had because God, we just move. they need IT guys everywhere else anyway. So let's go for it. <laughs> so because my team had seen what the problem was and we had actually put together a plan in case we got the call, because I was expecting we were ready to go. And within uh, three months, we turned there, we took over the warehouse. So I wasn't just the IT guy, I was the warehouse manager. Uh, so we took over the warehouse and we reversed the problem and we gained back our customers. And I've got a nice little letter from the CIO claiming that I single-handedly, which it wasn't single-handedly, but he says that I single-handedly saved the company $8 million a year and brought back customers. Mm. Um, but it's, so sometimes you got to be prepared to do things that are not it things. Uh, so managing a warehouse was not something I ever expected to do. But if you're in IT, you have you better know how to change and adapt. You better know how to learn because, as your previous, uh, I was reading your listening to your last podcast. Your previous uh, presenter was talking about how everything changes in IT and it changes fast. So if you aren't the person that can learn new things, you're in the wrong position. But if you can learn new things, you can learn pretty much anything. You can learn how to run a warehouse. Uh, Let's you're, you're in an interesting position. You're in, a, in an interesting position. Um, I'd love to ask you. Cause you're in the end game right now. And I've asked people multiple times, what's your end game? And most it guys don't have an answer. Um, they just don't. And I don't want that for people. What I, I want for people, what I want for myself. And I don't want the, I don't want them to have a bad work-life balance. I don't want them to have a dream worth dying for, failing for, whatever you call it. You're out. You're out of the game. You're you're done. You said you're retired. So like what was the, I mean, what was the end game? Did you ever plan for that? Or were you just like, I'm just gonna do the best of the best and and help everyone and you know, and what happens, happens. Did you have a plan? Uh, so, so loose, loosely, I to I started at very, very early in my career when I was not even working for a, when I was freelancing. I started my financial path to six retirement with uh, getting out a whole life insurance policy so that I would start to squirrel away money so that I could retire. Um, I always, I didn't let. Um, I was one of the people that if. If there was an opportunity at another company uh, I, that did better, I took it. Uh, so it was a case of, uh, I felt like- What I is was... that though? What does that mean? Because sometimes it's not just money. It's not just yes. about like, oh, I'm getting paid more money. So that's important, right? Because I talk with a lot of people like, Phil, I'm, there's a job over here. I'm going to take it. I'm like, no, 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 no. Don't go there. Because it's it's kind of like if you took a job at, they got, they got a new job, it's three times as much money. 
it's at blackberry no don't go don't go, don't go. Yeah. You know, not now not now you know if it was back in the day yes but right like no if they, like what do you blackberry's still around are they still no don't go <laughs> they're like don't go like i got a really great job it's at uh uh you know i'm trying to think of avaya nothing don't sue me avaya you know what i mean i think they're still in business you know what i mean they it's are. like uh, you know what i mean sorry uh nortel nortel um <laughs> never going to nortel. <laughs> yeah um, uh yeah you got you get it all right um so, you know, sometimes you don't know that, that oh, what you're getting into is toxic. Um, you think it's good. It's not. Uh, and that has happened <laughs> where I took, um, I, I was fat, dumb, and happy working for the uh, town of Roanoke when a headhunter called and says, I got a job opportunity for you. And at that time I said, you know, I'm, it, this was a lot of money when I said, I'm not going to take a job unless it's uh, six figures. And she goes, well, that's not a problem. They'll pay six figures. And I said, Okay. So I took what the number job. is at the front of that six figures. Yeah. Well, it was <laughs> still got... just a one, but it yeah. was, but at the time I, it was a very substantial increase over what I was being paid by the local government, as yep. you can yep. imagine. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, after being there for uh, a little while, I was sent, I was routinely sent out for these projects that lasted three months away from family. And oh, yeah. Now, they were very accommodating in the sense that they, uh, in one sense, I had to go to, to Chicago one time and they flew me via private jet. They uh -huh. flew my, they gave me a three bedroom apartment in the loop of Chicago yep. for myself. They alone, flew my, alone. with your and thoughts they flew, at night away from your family, thinking about to how their credit, miserable. Yeah, they huh? did send my family in uh, oh, uh, once a month. To, nice. and they flew them in so it was um they did they tried to make these three months stints yes not so painful but they were painful because you're as you can imagine being away from eight kids i was away from three kids and they were very young at the time so um yes i that i got a lot of money but i also said to myself you know this is not good this is not working out i then had to go find a different opportunity where i did not have to be away from family so much yeah it's detrimental but um, so it was a case of uh, find the opportunities that work for you. This last move, as I mentioned, it was being semi-retired. I So the end game was to make sure I had enough money to retire so that when I retired, I did not have to work for money. Uh, I still work, but I don't do it for money. I am, I've mentioned to you earlier that I'm doing this thing in Excel called 5G. That's a whole nother topic. But uh, it's... The idea, my end game was that when I retire, I'll have enough money to travel. Uh, we have a budget that will allow us to travel to visit. Uh, we want to go to Yellowstone next summer. We want to go to France the year after that. We've gone, we've been to, we went to Scotland this year. Uh, just uh, we'll be going to uh, California in December, actually in November. And then I've got mm -hmm. to speak at Tucson, Arizona in December mm -hmm. about 5G. Uh, so, uh, is 5G the, control? Wait, 5G as in 5G LTE? 5G? No, this is 5G is the fifth generation in financial modeling within okay. Excel. See, there we go. There's the acronyms again. There's the acronyms, I was looking yes. at your I was looking at your Excel post actually as we we're on this call, and that's um, we won't go down that dark hole right now. Maybe we'll have that. <laughs> it is a dark hole. A, <laughs> a lot of people are going Excel. What? <laughs> Ooh, that's how I manage my database. What's wrong with Excel? Well, it That's is how right. I managed to get trust. I would say that you've got, so just a quick dive down that hole. People yeah. complain about skunk works and, um, uh, oh, shadow IT yeah. because everyone's using Excel to do shadow IT. Well, one of the reasons why they're using Excel is because uh, IT is not helping them. And that really upsets people when they've got this project that needs to be done. And IT goes, ah, I don't, we don't have, that's not going to have enough return on it. I'm not going to spend my my yeah, C programmers, my Java programmers time on developing your solution. So no, we're not going to do it. it. Just doesn't arrive to the level of importance. We've got these other big projects that need to be done. Well, that's a great way to upset a lot of people. One of the mm. things I did with Excel is instead of have I went that's to actually a really key point. That's that that's interesting because I don't think that's ever come up on 207 shows is um the number of requests the 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 software dev guys get. But I've, we've never covered that. 
So it, in such situations, they were some of the things that they needed to do were simple Excel solutions. And I knew Excel, so I just say, yep. here, here it is. I'll fix it for you. And with, in some cases, hours, uh-huh. maybe in some cases, a day or two, they had a solution that was developed by IT and, the, and they were very happy with it because it was their solution and oh. it didn't require a lot of time. So uh, we that built a ton of trust. You had, a, uh, I can't tell you how many times that's gotten people to uh, go to their boss and say, hey, you know, what, look what Craig did for me. Uh, and that just, that really helps it. Not only it not, so it, it elevated the status of it gain Let's trust book with that people. show. Let's book the Excel 5g show. You have sign back <laughs> up for this. I want to talk about this. Can we, we'll do this live via screen share. Let's do it. You know, let's do a <laughs> Phil's budget. Let's do, let's make an app for my household or something and build it all in Excel. Uh, then you need to take a look at one of the five G episode number two. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, it is it is my departmental budget and my personal budget. I don't show <laughs> my personal budget, but is the application I use and one of the things that you will find. It's just I don't mind showing my personal budget. Oh, he spends a oh, there's a a thousand dollars at the supermarket. Okay, uh, easy. At eight kids, you better believe it. Uh, is that a date? <laughs> I remember our new record. I remember like, we hit a new record. We we're like at the supermarket line. I'm like taking pictures of the screen and everything. People are like, what's going on here? I'm like, I just spent $1,069. Uh, so, put that organic anyway. stuff back. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, so I used Excel to build trust. Um, but uh, yes, I I, I I understand why why IT people go, oh, we can't Excel is horrible as you say your database is in Excel. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. It, be. <laughs> it should not be. <laughs> let's see if we can't uh let's that's how Beyond Excel got started. It was basically showing IT people how to uh, bring data from databases like your ERP into Excel for analysis. Okay. Uh, so the idea was no, we're not going to have a database in Excel. We're going to use our we're going to leverage our databases so people can get real-time information and do real-time analysis. Yes. Uh, and we can we're do it. Make days. people think it's an Excel. Uh, well, that happens. Think we landed on the moon. Everyone believes it. <laughs> yes. Uh, the conspiracy theories. Uh, conspiracy. So anyway, that's, that's, uh, that's it for me. Build relationships, establish a reputation of trust, find opportunities, build a business case, wait on timing, determine all stakeholders and they're with them, what's in it for mm. me, and present uh, in a way that it doesn't mention the technology. Those are my key. Greg, it has been an absolute pleasure talking with you. And I do want to, I do want to talk about Excel 5G. Is it 5G Excel or is it Excel 5G? We call it 5G modeling. Five, oh, sorry. 5G modeling. I'm just sounding 5G. really stupid right now. I just know I sounded real stupid. But, no, um, no. Nobody knows about it. It's, 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 good, good, it was good. launched July 6th <laughs> at, at a conference in, in, in London. We, we uh, need to redo that and talk about that. London. Yeah. So, so for IT hey, nerds, mate. it's, huh? it's CBSE for Compu- component based software engineering for Excel, something that's only been available since the introduction of Lambda, which is a whole nother discussion. I, I always mix up my London friends and my, my Australian friends because Australia, they're like, Hey mate. And then the London guys are like, you know, uh, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. You know, yeah. You gotta say, yeah. Every other Cheers. word. Yeah, well, I have lots of Australian friends. As a matter of fact, I've been I've been presenting with my Australian. I call them the three Aussie Aussies. Uh, um, that uh, about five G because for some reason they've taken me under their wing to with their uh, their webinars. Mm. So uh, they they seem to like what I say about five G. So we'll see. Okay, we're gonna do that. Well, thank you very much, sir. I hope you have a wonderful, what day of the week is it? Thursday? Um, well, you're you're retired now, so it doesn't even matter. It's all just do whatever the heck you want to do, I guess. That's right. It's I do whatever I want to do. And uh, that's another, <laughs> you'll have to look at one of my uh, LinkedIn articles about that. Uh, Beautiful. So. <laughs> Maybe your creative writing might be able to say, Craig, you this you really could do better with creative this. writing. Is it, it, my degree is going to be completely erased soon with uh, some sort of chat GPT or something. You know what I mean? I've already tried to, I've already tried to clone my voice, my writing voice. Like I, I actually hired an AI guy 
Um, and I was like, can you clone my writing? What I want is like, just write about this. And I want it to come out in my tone of voice with all my like crazy stuff that I say and that type of tone. And it got close, but then as it layers and layer, as the layers increase, because it kind of builds on stuff, it becomes, it, it loses it. It just loses it. But that's a, that's the thing for another show. Thank you so much for being on Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. Everyone find Craig on LinkedIn because that's where we exist pretty much until um, this show becomes super popular and it grows somewhere else. So thank you so much for being on the show. <laughs>